You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. When we abide in Jesus Christ and love one another in fervor, how do I mean by fervor? The way Jesus loved us. We are demonstrating the love of God to a fallen world. When we do this, John says, not only is God's love perfected in us, but people are also drawn to God by the love we demonstrate to them. Have you ever tried to share the Word of God to another person? It's not easy, right? In today's message, Pastor Dave discusses how verses in 1 John chapter 4 explain that if we simply share the love of God, people will be drawn to God Himself. We are called to love others the same way God loves us, endlessly. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 4 as he begins his message, Living Love Letters. John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16 aloud. If you would follow along with us, please, silently. The apostle writes in verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Shall we pray? Father, as we now come to your glorious word, we ask a blessing upon us as we study your word this morning. Open up our hearts to receive whatever it is that you have on your agenda this morning. Help us, Lord, to lay aside the distractions that might easily be going through our heads at this moment. Help us, Lord, to just come before you, Lord, and sit at your feet as you expound on your word to us and to our hearts, Lord. And Lord, when it gets there, may your spirit do a mighty work in our hearts this morning. May we grow ever more in love with you. May we grow ever more in love with each other, Father, as we study your word and glean from your word what you would have us do and how we can apply it, Lord. Lord, we're living in perilous times. We're living in times that are unheard of, times that we've never seen in our lifetime. Times that are sometimes frightening, sometimes disconcerting. But Lord, we know that you are in charge, and we know that you are in control, and we know that you are still on the throne. And Lord, we know that there is a way to reach those who are discontented. There is a way to reach those who are out there struggling, 
trying to survive out there, even the ones who are causing havoc and problems. And we know the way to reach them is by your love. So Lord, help us, help us to be those who come with love, who be able to speak of your love to others boldly. Help us, Lord, as we want only to show the world that you love us and that you gave your son Jesus for us, all of us, the entire world. Thank you, Lord. May you be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a a story about four pastors who were sitting around one day and they were arguing about which Bible translation was the best. One pastor stated that it had to be the original King James, while the other said, no, 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 it must be the American Standard. The third one said, I don't know, I like the modern versions better because they're, for me, easier to understand. As the other spoke and argued, the fourth pastor just sat back and listened and smiled, never saying a word. The three finally looked at him and said, well, what are you smiling about? Which version do you think is the best? Continuing to smile, he looked at them and says, I like my mother's translation. The other three were astonished. They looked at each other in unison. They said, what? You? What are you talking about? The pastor continued to smile and said, I like my mother's translation the best. Because she translated the Bible into life. Her life was a constant sermon on the love of God. True story? I don't know. But think about it. Think about what this pastor said about his mother. About the effect that his mother had on his life. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church of Corinth the second time in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not on tables, tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. What I believe Paul was basically saying here was that wherever we go and whatever we do, we who are believers in Jesus Christ, we who are trusting in Jesus for salvation because of the work on the cross, we who are, call ourselves disciples or followers of Jesus Christ, we are living letters of God's love in front of others. And that's why I've entitled this message, Living Love Letters. We are those living love letters. When people see us, when people see you, when people see me, they either see God's love in us, or sadly, they don't. You've heard the saying, you might be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. You've heard the saying that you might be the only Jesus that anybody ever sees. You've heard those type of sayings. Which translation of the Bible are you? The question remains, are we good translations of God's unchanging message? Do people learn the truth about God and about his son, Jesus Christ, from what they see in you? 
Let's be a little bit more specific. When folks watch the way we live, are they seeing the love of God through Jesus Christ being translated to them in a message that they can perceive, in a message that they can understand, in a message that they can believe? Is that what they're seeing in our lives? In our verses this morning, John wants you to know that when we abide in Jesus Christ and love one another in fervor, how do I mean by fervor? The way Jesus loved us. We are demonstrating the love of God to a fallen world. When we do this, John says, not only is God's love perfected in us, but people are also drawn to God by the love we demonstrate to them. Now, to prepare us to go into today's verses, I want to go with Mr. Peabody to the Wayback Machine. I'm glad some of you got that. I was worried about that. I want to take the Wayback Machine, and I want to go back to the beginning of John's letter here that we studied, it seems like a long time ago, back in, ver- in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to read them to you. John started out this epistle, this letter, with that which was, seen, was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is how John began this letter that he is writing and that we're studying right now. John and the apostles, as we studied, were eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ. They saw God's Son in human flesh. John wrote about this in his original gospel in chapter 1 in verse 14. And you know the scripture. It says, and the word, speaking of Jesus as the living word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As we had discussed earlier when we went through the beginning of this epistle, the apostles lived with Jesus three and a half years. They walked with him, ate with him. They heard his voice. They touched him. They watched him perform many miracles. They saw his divine character. They saw this firsthand. The Son of God became a man and lived among men. And these particular men saw it. They heard it. John says, we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten. You remember, John can even take this a little further if we want to dig into that. Because John, his brother James, and Peter were on the mountain that day with Jesus. They were on the mountain that day with Jesus when all of a sudden he was transfigured before their their very eyes. They saw his face shine like the sun, it says in Matthew 17. They saw his clothes become white as light. They saw with their own eyes as Moses Moses and Elijah appeared. And they heard with their own ears when God the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. These very same apostles who saw and heard these things, John says, We're now witnesses of that to you, to us. Peter, 
spoke of these things. Peter spoke of these things in 2 Peter 1.16 when he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, we saw him. John says, we saw him. We knew him. We walked together. For the apostles, there was no question about the reality of God's love. It was there with them. They saw it up close and personal. They were witnesses of the eternal love of God that was expressed to them by the personal relationship they had to God's very own son, Jesus Christ. And it was by sending God, sending his son, his precious son to the earth and to come and die for a cross that God demonstrated that love fully to the entire world, to you, to me, to everyone. He demonstrated the fact that he truly loved the world for God so loved the world. These apostles bore witness to the world, the love of God and his son. And that witness now is passed down. That witness has been passed down through the ages. It's confined in this book right now. Their witness is confined on these pages that we read. And it's passed down to us. It's been recorded with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All these books of the New Testament. John himself says, we wrote these things. So that we could, we could enter into the same fellowship that the apostles had. That's why these things were written. So that you and me and the rest of the world can enter into that same relationship with Jesus Christ that they had. The exact same relationship. A personal fellowship with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. And by doing so, John says, your joy would be full. Your joy would be complete. Now we know from studying 1 John... And even from studying the Gospel of John, we know that one of the great themes of this letter is God's love. We we know that. We've spoken about it at length. And here John now is asking an incredibly important question, which I think has such meaning for today, in the day in which we are living, and what we're seeing happening in our country and in our world today, I think it has powerful meaning for us. And the question that John is basically asking all of us is now that Jesus has been raised from the dead and has ascended back to the right hand of the Father, how is it that we can still experience the ongoing impact of the love of God? Interesting question when you think about it. And can we point that love out to one another? Is it revealed today by us? And is it revealed to a world desperately needs God. Is it revealed? Think about it. This morning's passage shows us that God's love, first shown to us through Jesus Christ, then shown to us by the apostle, is an ongoing, it's ongoing, and is shown now through those who abide in Christ. It is shown through people that are abiding in Jesus Christ, those who have believed the apostle's testimony. Those that have believed Jesus, taken him into their heart, and they've begun born again into a living hope. And now abiding in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. John clearly told us last week in verse 8, God is love. Simple words. God is love. When was that truth revealed to us? On the cross. The truth of God's love was revealed to us on the cross. It's interesting. I love what this one commentator said, quote, God is love is not simply a doctrine in the Bible. 
It is an eternal fact clearly demonstrated at the cross of Calvary. We know through scripture that this truth is also revealed to us. And in this we see that God has spoken to us, but he has also done something for us. And John makes something else perfectly clear. Not only has God spoken to us through his son, not only has he done something for us on the cross, he's doing something in us right now. He's doing something in us right now by the power of his Holy Spirit. That is happening right now as we speak, as you're here. In other words, brothers and sisters, we're not spectators to this great drama of presentation of God's love to the world. We're not going to sit back and just eat bonbons and watch. We're all major players. We're all major players in this drama. We're all major players. And each of us, every one of us in here, every one of us who claims to be born again, who said that Jesus Christ is Lord, who has been born again to a living hope, now has a major part in this drama. And God has a plan for you. You know, as you trace God's relationship with man through the Bible, we can see from the beginning that God fellowship with man in a personal and direct way. Walked in the cool of the day with Adam in the garden. Can you imagine that? Walking in the cool of the day with God. But sin broke that fellowship. It was necessary for God to shed the blood of animals to cover that sin. So that Adam and Eve could get back in the fellowship with him. And as you move forward in time, God began to walk with other men. He walked with Enoch. Scripture says he walked with Noah. Scripture says that Abraham walked with God. So we see God walking with man. But after the exodus, after they were freed from Egypt, there was another change in God's relationship to man. God didn't simply walk with man. He lived with man. He dwelt with man. The word in the King James is tabernacled. He tabernacled with man. The glory of God would come down and fill the tabernacle with his presence. Notice that God dwelt in the camp of the Israelites, but he didn't dwell in them personally, but he was with them. The nation Israel sinned greatly against God, and his glory departed from them. But by the grace of God, the nation was once again restored, and he used Samuel, and he used David. And then Solomon built the magnificent temple once again, which we're studying in 2 Chronicles. And God's glory returned, and he came and dwelt in the land. But history repeated itself, didn't it? Israel disobeyed God, and they were taken into captivity. The temple was destroyed, and once again the glory of God departed. We talked about this the Sunday before Christmas. How for 400 years there was silence. God hadn't spoken. But God broke that silence, and his glory again once again returned to man. Returned to earth as God loved the world, so he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to earth. John wrote about this in John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And all that, that, that information. The gl- glory of God dwelt on earth once again. But man nailed him to a cross. They crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus died. He was buried. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. But he didn't leave us as orphans. We're not left by ourselves. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Now we have the glory of God dwelling in us. The glory of God is in you now. God's glory in you. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says this. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, and therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You have the Holy Spirit now dwelling within you. God's glory is now in you. We had to get this understanding so that we can better understand our verses for this morning. We had to get that history lesson within us. The Apostle Paul is talking about demonstrating God's love. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 4, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. God is invisible. No one has seen him in his true essence. But by taking on human flesh, Jesus became, it says in Colossians, the image of the invisible God. Jesus became that. He revealed God perfectly to us. I mean, come on. We studied that in John 14. When Jesus told Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus revealed God to them perfectly. But Jesus is no longer here in the flesh. So how does now God reveal himself to the world? He reveals himself through his children. He reveals himself through you, children of the Most High God. That's how he chooses to reveal himself. He reveals himself through your lives. If we abide in Christ, we will love one another. And our love for one another will reveal God's love to this needy world. And as we experience God's love in us, we express God's love through us outwardly. And people see that, and they are drawn to God when they see that love. This kind of love can't be manufactured. It can't be worked up. I'm going to love them today. Okay, here we go. I'm going to love them. Look around, folks. Look at the times in which we're living. I mean, Paul quoted Timothy when he wrote to Timothy, these are perilous times. Perilous times. We're on the precipice of something huge happening here. Our nation needs a glimpse of God's love. A pure glimpse of God's love. And it's not going to come through a political party. It's not going to come from a political ideology. It's going to come from the church, from those who are born again in Jesus Christ. That's where that love is going to come from. We see so much hatred. So much despicable actions and hatred towards one another. This is so new in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like this. But if you go back in history and you repeat it time and time and time again. So much distrust. How can people call for unity after they have distrusted and said despicable things for four years? How do they then call for unity? There is no unity. There won't be any unity except the unity we have in Jesus Christ. It's the only unity that's worthwhile to me. That's the only unit that's worthwhile to me. In this verse, we see the important word, abide. And it's interesting, in these verses this morning, abide is used six times. Six times it is used in these few verses. What does it refer to? It refers to our relationship with Jesus Christ. You are This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes it's helpful to know what your boundaries are, what the acceptable parameters are for living your life. In this book, John made it clear to those he was writing to the differences or contrasts between light and dark. 
truth versus lies and Christ versus the Antichrist. These are opposites of one another because like all of life, there is a constant reminder of good and evil, of sin and righteousness. Throughout God's Word, He provides clues and instructions of what things are good and right. He also gives warning of what's wrong and sinful. So John's writing is a reminder of the boundaries God's put in place for your benefit. This is not any kind of punishment or consequence. On the contrary, it's to give you more freedom and to allow you to live life to the fullest here on earth and beyond. Is your heart waging war between these things that John has written about? Are you wrestling between loving the world and loving God? If you'd like to talk to someone about the things that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. Feel free to listen to more messages like this on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Be sure to join us again next time here on Assure Hope.